Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing. Hopefully, we have now all managed to get to watch um, the Rings of Power because there will be a couple of spoilers in this. So, Paula, would you like to just briefly say um, who you are and where you fit in your expertise on Tolkien? Hi, I'm Paula Calamaris. I also write under the name of P.M. Amaris. I'm an author, publisher, writer, Tolkien fanatic. And um, I began my quest with Tolkien when I was very young. I I moved from Narnia into Middle Earth, as as I said earlier. Um, I teach a class uh, for Case Western Reserve University on Tolkien. And uh, we'll be doing a Narnia class, I hope, in the spring. But right now, my my whole my whole Tolkien class has been very um, involved in the first two books, and we're just about to start Return of the King. But many of them, we're starting to watch the um, we're starting to watch the Rings of Power. And Jacob's here, so yay! Um, and so I hopefully some of them showed up today. If not. I'm re- really. You'll set it as homework. If not. Yes, I'll set this as homework so that yeah. they can do this before they um, do. We we're spending a whole week on the appendices, so it should be a, an interesting week. Fantastic. And Jacob, would you like to say sorry to bounce you into this, but you'd like to briefly say what your expertise on Tolkien is? Right. Yeah. Uh, so um, enthusiast, uh, scholar um, uh, of Tolkien, uh, presented at a number of different um, conferences academically, uh, creatively. Um, I'm involved uh, with some uh, Tolkien-related games um, uh, in my profession. Uh, So right now I'm currently a a narrative designer and project manager for games at Ravensburger, uh, North America. So uh, I've got both ends of the kind of the uh, the game end, the kind of like more more creative end of things, as well as the academic uh, end of things. So I kind of walk between two worlds there. Brilliant. Uh, and my name is Julia Golding. I'm an author, um, Tolkien enthusiast, and I run the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. And we've been looking forward to the Rings of Power because we always want enjoying new expressions of creativity coming forward. Um, But this is very much meant to be uh, a session where you can um, put in your views and get your views out there. Um, So we've discovered that the Q&A tab 
works. So do um, put your thoughts in there as we go along. But the first part of this is going to be um, just like an overview. So you clock whether or not you agree with our views as we go along. And we'll do that for 20 minutes to 30 minutes. And then the rest of it will be for you to ask questions or give your views um, on what they have done over Amazon Prime. So just to say, first of all, at the Oxford Centre for Fantasy, our approach isn't to say they didn't do this and this isn't um, this isn't in Tolkien. That's not how we're going. I'm sure there are, you've had a chance to read the experts on that. We're looking at it more as the question is looking at it as creatives. Um, how did they do? You know, um, and seeing that they gonna not. You know, they've got their own set of rules they're following. How did they do within that rules? But we will very quickly just, uh, for those of you who are interested in help, what the gap is between what Tolkien sketched out for the Second Age and what they actually did, we're just going to give the headlines of where the differences were, um, just to see what choices they made as creatives. So, Paula, why don't you start on Timeline? And Jacob, and I'll ask you about characters. So, Paula, you first of all hit off on timeline. Timeline's all off. The timeline of the Second Age is much longer, and they've condensed it so much that I think, in some ways, they've, you know, by putting people who are a thousand years down the line in the middle of the story, such as Isildur, you kind of lose the sense of, um, the, the drama that it took for all of these, these different forces to come together to oppose Sauron. And, and again, you've got, it, it truncates the impact in, in, in some ways as to how, how everything is, is, is moving forward. And, you know, they're going to put it over five seasons, but it's kind of like making three movies out of the Hobbit. You just, you stretch where you shouldn't necessarily stretch and you you shrink where it might have been better if things had gone on a little more. Um, so just to give some dates on that, if you look at the dates, you've got the making of the rings is the equivalent of the 1500. So looking at English history, that's the time of Henry VIII and the Tudors and the time of the fall of Numenor and those characters at the end, the last generation in Numenor, is in the 3000. So that's like Star Trek centuries. Yeah. That's how I've been telling it myself. No, and um, I think that's, a, well, I think that's a, a, a good description of it. So you're missing 2000 years of some very significant events. But the reason they've done that is obvious. Yes. Which is you can't make a program where, which have the human drama and the elf drama separated by 2000 years. So they've they've done the job of moving it like that. And that's a choice which they can be criticized for, but you can see oh I can why, see it. I just why they chose it. Yeah. Okay. Just, uh, over to you, Jacob, for um characters. What if they which characters are kind of Tolkien-esque and which ones are freestyling? Yeah, uh that's a good that's a good question. Again, like the the issue of a creative adaptation, right? Every every adaptation is a translation and interpretation. So it's never going to be perfect, right? Between any any two, or else it would be the thing itself. So it's it's broke. We recognize that it's it's different. And I really like the approach of the uh Oxford Center for Fantasy, which is looking at this as a 
creative whole, right? Um, but what they're doing with this kind of inspired by. So I think, yeah, going along with the with what's already been mentioned by Paula with the, the timeline. So you have with the Durans, right? So Duran three and Duran four, you don't have according to Tolkien, right? You don't have a, two Durans that are happening in the same place because there's this idea that possibly it's the same Duran that's kind of being perhaps reincarnated or coming back or the, you know, this legend perhaps. So you never have two Durans at the same time. And so putting those two together is, you know, departs wildly from Tolkien. I understand from a creative aspect, the sort of drama that that creates uh, that's kind of necessary for raising stakes and tension. So that's one of the, uh, I think, big ones that you can see pretty easily. Um, one of them that I, you know, I, I, I just love Finrod as a character so much. And to see uh, Finrod just kind of relegated to a background character and, uh, you know, just used as Galadriel's motivation, right? So Finrod, brother of Galadriel, uh, and all, all, all Finrod's entire story, right? Kind of really responsible for building initial relationships between humans and elves, and then the incredible arc that he has in the story that he has with uh, his own death, uh, this incredibly heroic death in, in the Silmarillion. Of course, they don't have uh, the you know the the, the showrunners and the, the show itself doesn't have access to they can't use those stories in the Silmarillion so they're kind of it, it's almost it seems like it's they have here's what you have available is what's inside the Lord of the Rings and the appendices in in terms of what's in the Middle Age you know the, the Second Age and so what can you tease out from those sources and have to go with those well trying to sneak in some of the Silmarillion stuff, uh, but for legal reasons, they can't. So it's almost, it's this really strange, tricky adaptation that's not really able to adapt all of Tolkien's work as a whole, but just take kind of like bits and pieces. So I understand the difference that they have there. They can't pull in all of that information about Finrod, but just as, as somebody who really likes Finrod as a character in the <laughs> bigger narrative that- Finrod that, that, fanboy. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. um, I think just to out, <laughs> just outline who's who's talking. I'm um, only very briefly. Um, so Galadriel is clearly talking, but is given a role which isn't mentioned by Tolkien, shall we say? Um, the uh, El Elrond, obviously, we know is 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 there. Um, Celebrimbor and. Gil Galad, they're all in Tolkien. But then we start moving over to invented characters. Mm -hmm. So Nori, Brand Brandyfoot, um, that's an invention. Though the Harfoots are mentioned as the proto-hobbits. Um, the uh, Arondir and um Bronwyn are inventions um, in order to show the Southlands. And um, Muriel, who is the queen of Numenor, um, possibly may morph into her version of her that is in the Silmarillion. But at the moment, she is um, much more of a Bodicea fighting queen aspect than is in Tolkien. So the name exists, but the character is different. So anyway, as I said, we aren't here to do the purest thing of saying, um, you know, 
because that's that's not what they that's not the choices they were making. They were looking at this saying, here's Tolkien's material, what kind of story can we tell? So we're going to look at this first of all um, from the script. Um, we're going to look at the overall story arc. So if you haven't seen the last episode, you might want to la 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 at the first bit of this conversation. Then we're going to have a look at some favorite episodes. Then we're going to turn to look at performances. Then we're going to look at world creation. And then at the end, we'll give a grand verdict, i.e. mark out of five. And um, then we'll go over to you and we'll pick up some of your comments and uh, read them out and encourage you to discuss in the in the chat. Okay, uh, which is actually the Q&A apparently. Sorry, we're using this um, Zoom events thing for the first time. So it's having a few teething troubles, which I apologize for. Okay, first of all, let's briefly try and keep um, comments fairly brief so we have time to go around. What did you think of the overall story arc, Paula? I did not find it objectionable. Okay, that's very, very gain <laughs> I did the other thing I teach. I uh, I did find some aspects of it to be a little off-putting, um, primarily because of the way I've read Tolkien all of my life. That the especially when we get to the proto hobbits, um, while the Harfoots are an interesting group of people and they are, you know, the performances are nice and Nori is adorable, but my only thing was that the hobbits have been sheltered for all of these centuries. And it was Bilbo who came out to, you know, start the adventures. And now suddenly thousands of years earlier, the hobbits are suddenly very proactive in, um, in assisting uh, the stranger. And I thought that was a little, and a, a little on the, the three Norns the anti-Norns or whatever they are, were, were a little, that that bothered me for some reason. Okay. I so couldn't take it. It wasn't, wasn't completely adverse, but there were elements which kind of rubbed you up the wrong way. Yeah. Okay. Right. Jacob, how about you? Um, I think from a narrative standpoint, it was a pretty straightforward arcs they had for each of the characters, right? They clearly had several different groups that they were following. And then, you know, tracking them I, I thought you know character arcs were were, were were decent pretty pretty easy to to follow um there was kind of it seemed to be a pretty long setup though um that I didn't find myself like really you know there's continually kind of rising tension but that really didn't come in I, I didn't find myself really kind of if finding myself really caught up in the story until about episode five or so um, was when I really started caring, I think. So I think the, 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 the setup and wind up was a little bit long. I see kind of what they, they kind of had to do, but just kind of from a normal, you know, typical narrative uh, standpoint, um, slow, slow in the beginning, a little hard to get into a little long getting into kind of act two. Um, but I thought it came full circle. They did a good job, you know, thematically bringing it back full circle. So kind of as a story, as a single season, telling a single story with the, the creative decisions that they made, but just taking those those different arcs, um, different tensions, um, different questions. I thought they did. Uh, I thought they did a, a good job. I was able to follow it and thought it was a, 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 a good 
straightforward story. And remember, everybody, we're talking about this not as imagining Tolkien doing it as the choices <laughs> made by these, these screen people. Okay, so here's my view. This is where I am sort of feel I've got the strongest, uh, you know, aside from the sort of Tolkien knowledge, this is where I feel that is my area is writing that script. I felt what we've got here, I'm going to use the metaphor of tapestry threads. We have the single threads uh, of, of the storylines and we have Galadriel, we have Elrond, and Galadriel and Elrond touch, and Elrond and the dwarves touch. Then we've got um, Bronwyn and Arondir. We've got the hobbits, and we've got the people down in Numenor and Halbrand. The odd thing is that it wasn't woven together very well. So one of those threads, the the hobbit thread just kind of floated on its own and you could have done some very clever things where you saw them in relation to the other characters i didn't get i didn't understand why they didn't bring it together so they did bring some of the threads together but they would just drop them so the last episode um there was no bronwyn and arondir and there was no what happened to isildur and there was no um dwarves so it kind of for me the knitting together was where it fell apart as a story arc and I was actually thinking you know what they could have looked at Lord of the Rings and thought how do you do multiple story threads well you know what you start with one thread and then you split it you connect them and then split them right um I was expecting them to bring them all into a beautiful sort of pattern at the end and they kind of didn't so for me where I think they could have spent a bit more money in this very expensive production is actually really working through how to tell a story because I think they made some basic rookie errors on the sort of managing of multiple story threads Um, and I think what Jacob was talking about the difficulty of caring is to do with the fact that they started with this ambitious canvas and didn't quite weave it together. So that's what I felt. Okay, so let's look at it episode by episode. Um, There were some good bits. We have a phrase here, curate's egg. Um, It's an old fashioned phrase, but it means good in parts. So um, I've got lots of things I I would, you know, say, yay, that was fun to watch. Um, but let's start with uh, let's start with you, Jacob. This time, which of your which of the episodes worked for you, um, or sequence th- within an episode? Yeah, yeah. Um, really, I think the the relationship between Elrond and and Doran, uh, when that came up, that's when I found myself kind of most interested and invested. Right, I thought they did a good job of of spending time with them. Um, it was odd, right? The in Anytime we saw the elves, right, in, in um, Linden, it's almost like a ghost town, right? You see, like, a few people. There's not a sense that there's really <laughs> much, you know, of a culture there. Or maybe it's a holiday. I don't know exactly. Um, but so, like, you saw some of that more, I think, in um, uh, with the dwarves, right, uh, in Moria. And so, I, but so, like, I, they could have just, like, you know, focused on the big, 
everything that's happening. I think they did that a little bit more in Numenor where there's a sense of, you know, population. Um, but I really like them kind of focusing in, in spite of not having as many background characters for that role. I thought that was a, a storyline that I found myself uh, like with Disa, right, Doran's wife, weaving in and there. She's that was fantastic. So I think of all the relationships, um, that was the one that I found myself most invested in um, in the narrative. I agree. I found Disa and Doran probably the most compelling of all of them, yeah. and I loved her. The, yeah, the actress good. was brilliant. She was so terrific. And I mean, in, in what is it? Episode seven, she, when she's talking to him after his father has completely shot him down and her fire and her passion just strengthens him. And it just was probably one of the best scenes that I saw in the entire thing is the, the scenes and her relationship to Elrond. Um, I, Get off the table. Sorry. Um, I just found her, I found her compelling. I loved her. I thought she was one of the best created characters. I know we never saw dwarf women in in Tolkien, but at least they did the right thing with Jisa. Yeah. So um, I agree with you completely, Jacob, about the emptiness of um, Lyndon. And somebody pointed out, actually one of the... uh, if 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 Nancy's here on the the chat, um, Nancy, who who's one of our students from the uh, the Oxford Centre for Fantasy, um, she said, "Did you notice that there were no women, no faces of women? The 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 elves were attended by these ladies with veils over their faces. It was very odd um, because elves, elven women are, you know." Uh, powerful, powerful people. So that was a bit strange. Anyway, I think that for me, um, some of the sort of momentum did get going in six and seven uh, in terms of like episodes. They felt quite, you know, crunchy episodes with things happening. What I found strange was the timing of things, though. Because the big battle with um, Bronwyn and Rondir and what have you, which ended episode seven, meant that the events of episode eight, the making of the three rings, kind of, and the the twist about who is Sauron, kind of happened really quickly, and it did feel a bit dislocated. Though I liked the, I liked the who Sauron storyline but I kind of felt that could have actually run for a little bit longer to us really start asking the question um more clearly but I like that and the way it was wasn't there were some clues along the way which weren't too obvious so when there was the revelation as to who he was please la 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 if you haven't watched it you know when Halbrand turns out to be Sauron that's good because I've been saying to my family hang on a minute there was no king of the south who is he? You know, what's that character? So I like the fact that um, it wasn't completely obvious that it was going to be him, though. Well done if you're one of the people on the uh, one of our attendees who saw that from the start. I didn't. Um, when we were watching it, um, when he leaves the other people on the other raft to their fate alone, uh, my cousin who was watching it with me said, there's your bad guy. 
Okay, well, well done, your cousin. <laughs> yeah, so- I know. I was like, really? <laughs> and then I then after he said that, I just kept watching and I started I started ticking off things like, hmm, he did this, hmm, he did that. He makes he makes he makes things in metal. <laughs> yes, he makes things in metal and he understands alloys. Hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it just kept building up and building up. And I thought they did a nice bit of misdirection with the um anti-norns or whatever those three women were called um yes i didn't get i didn't get who how they fit in the world did you um uh, experts where do those three androgynous women people who turn into moths where do they fit in in the world of tolkien Uh, who are they is this a yeah, that's a, we really don't know, right? So you you do you do find out, right, that he's um, that the stranger is uh, an Astari, right? So he's one of the the wizards, yes. and so question yeah. is, is it they, obviously they're they're making all sorts of uh, allusions visually to Gandalf, right? But it's not a certainty right that it is actually Gandalf because you have a couple of uh blue wizards that Tolkien mentions that were out in the east um possibilities that you have there is that those two because Tolkien goes back and forth kind of on 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 exactly who who those are what they were doing um there's the possibility I think what one of his trajectories was uh they were you know like uh Saruman became kind of obsessed with accumulating power and ended up, you know, on the side of at least morally kind of larger uh, on the side of kind of like of, of Sauron um, in, in Saruman, probably is a bit closer parallel, but he also had another trajectory was that they were trying to fight the good fight and preventing uh, Sauron from amassing an even larger army there in the East. So what you could have them doing if, if they are following the two uh, blue wizards, the stranger could be one of the blue wizards that is kind of maintaining a positive moral compass right there. Who's who can go either way. There's that kind of obsession about like, am I good? Am I peril? Uh, he's kind of trying to figure that out. And these others, uh, the, the three um, individuals who are in, in white that are tracking him, they say, you know, he's not Sauron. He's the other. You could either imply that they they were looking for Sauron or this other guy, but there could also be the second blue wizard that had arrived earlier and he had already been, you know, power hungry and corrupted and that he had kind of amassed a base of cultists or whatever that are following him that he's trained in wizardly ways. I don't know. There's nothing that's like that. Those, those characters are visually, there was fantastic. Like that fight uh, towards the end, like when they're kind of disembodied uh, <laughs> was quite striking. Uh, Love that imagery, but yeah. And in terms of like, what, what, what's there really don't have anything um that that i've that i could that comes to my mind of where they tie into the larger universe that tolkien created well yeah, i think somebody that- in the chat said they thought he was gandalf i mean it's still you know that's a possibility it could be yeah could be indeed um yeah i loved i love the uh the conversations going on in the chat so do um do keep on there and we will Come to these in a minute. So just quickly, uh, us three for what it's worth, we're going to look at performances. So um, what did you think of the main actors in the series? So we've got, we have to start with Moffid Clark, who is our Galadriel. Um, 
what did you think? Let's start with Paula. She was the one who really held it together, I think. Yeah, she really did. I mean, she's she's the she's the only linchpin that's really going to start showing up in all of these because you at least get her in a couple of two or three different settings. And um her passion is is palpable and I think she really handles that and her concept of the fighting and who Galadriel is and her relationship to her brother, because Galadriel does leave um, and follow Finrod when they moved, when everybody moved. And she know, had another two book. brothers as well, who they've been right. cut from the, the picture. Yeah, they cut them. And I, I like the fact that in the last episode, she finally mentions Celeborn. Oh yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's oh. missing. <laughs> My <laughs> husband. Where is, oh yeah, and he's been missing for, I don't know how long, but you know, he, I'm still married. And I thought that was, I thought that really they could have, again, I think if they'd gone nine episodes, seriously, and just stretched out eight to into nine and tied together some of those arcs a yeah. little more fully, you know, hi, we made the rings. Okay, bye. I was very tempted to start a Where's Wally, Where's Kellerborn meme. So if anyone's out there got the 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 thing, you know, is he on a beach or is he, you know, in where, a boat somewhere swimming, swimming to the undying land? been for a thousand years, you know. Yeah, he's been gone. So, for so Jacob, long. what what did you think of Moffat Clark as um, an I I never I never really the, the the point where I finally where I got like some sort of connection with her uh, as a character as an actor was really when she was talking with Hal Brand. Uh, and she's trying to convince him, right, that you need to lead this charge. The Queen of Numenor's or Queen Regent of Numenor is going to will only do this if you are part of this. We'll only go to help you. When she said, when he's saying, you know, like, well, what are you doing? Why is this? Why is this such a big deal for you? And she says, like, why do you fight? She's like, she says, because I can't stop. So I was like, the most, like, the glimmer. I think the most that I saw, like, a real personality. She's she has a tall order, right? So she has to. You have Kate Blanchett who whose shadow you can't get out of right and that so that's where everybody's mind is taking her and so she has to kind of make this her own while also staying within certain lanes i guess of like what that character is so it, it, and, and this is tough right so for for this sort of season where everything we're compressing time and elves whose lifespans you know, are spanning millennia, right? So that the, what what does a character arc look like for an elf, and what does that look like in a season of television, right? So the, the, these are like inevitable tensions that you have in portraying different characters. So, but with that, even that that being said, you have with the elves in general something with with the performance of elves uh it, it was really kind of a mixed bag right so the, the the elf who i felt kind of embodied more of like what i figured an elvish essence to be was erendir uh then i thought he might have portrayed that a little bit better than uh galadriel and certainly more than like gilgalad or Celeborn. and some of those just like didn't didn't come off they didn't come off as elvish kind of in their air and so they're in a really tricky place. They're in a really tricky place <laughs> having to, de to depict story, you know, character arc drama while also differentiating themselves from humans. But then what does it mean to look like and be at like an act like an elf in comparison? It's, it's really sticky. So she, I thought she was, I thought she was okay. I didn't find anything 
I didn't, I didn't find anything like incredibly compelling about her as a character. I wasn't always like hanging on what she was doing when she was on screen. The so, only time I really please, thought- so please do put into the Q and a um, everybody, what you thought of Galadriel as a performance. Um, if, if, if you thought that, you know, she did a good job or not um, just to, my view is that she was, did a great, great job with the script she was given um they were lacking on there's some things which didn't help her so she had a bit of one of a one note type script this driven thing it was wasn't that much humor and the few times she was given a bit more range in her uh her scenes I thought she did really well um I also thought that there was some really dashed good choreography for her fighting that she did um she did look like the only elf who could fight um, I mean, the first the first introductory one where they're fighting some snow troll, all the others stood around and watched while she kind of did all the heavy lifting. But anyway, it was good. Um, so I thought, you know, physically she was doing very well with what she was given, which I think is quite tough. My my problems with the Gladiol character all to do with um, they made she is one of the oldest people there and they made her junior to people she's not junior to and that got on my goat because why do we have to put this woman female elf as this naughty soldier who's going beyond her remit she's much more queen you know I felt they could anyway that annoyed me but um maybe I found her I found her relationship with the Greek kid Theo because it's a Greek name not anything close to Scandinavian um I or Welsh uh I found her relationship and when she's hiding with him, I thought she actually, and she's talking about the loss and she's talking about, you know, how he has to be a soldier and she does it. I thought that was probably one of her most um, compelling moments in that she, she's imparting this wisdom to this 14 year old and she gets him to rise to the occasion because when they leave, he's holding that sword and he's her soldier and you just get the feeling that he's always going to be her soldier. Yeah. So those moments I think were were quite late in the season. Yeah. Again, just going to the, what people are saying here, I've got, Joanna says she found Gladriel flat. I think that's what Jacob was saying. Um, Deborah, Deborah um, wants to do the Kelleborn meme. Please, please do. Uh, (laughs) And she didn't get the uh, emphasis on Galadriel. Um, yeah, I mean, these these are choices, aren't they? I think they needed a strong female character and she was there. Nancy, who is, oh, I think that's my wonderful Nancy from, um, who's very knowledgeable about Tolkien. Um, she said she thinks the acting was good, but the writers made her nothing but angry all the time. So there was little nuance. Yeah, that was my problem too. Another flat actress, great says Maria, but the material subpar. Uh, you thought <laughs> seriously silly choreography? Nah, I kind of enjoyed it. But anyway, Zoom user, oh, Kate Blanchett has your heart. Um, another um, anon. Um, so that's a good point. Um, the, they've asked. They've said they're that they're interested in the long term, how she will 
evolve into the character we see in Lord of the Rings. Uh, Elizabeth, another of our students. Hi, Elizabeth. Um, she liked Galadriel's power and imperfections. Uh, the elves are telling in the imperfections and she swam away. And Andrew, hello down under. Andrew is just an amazing guy. He always gets up for these things. I hope it's not too early for you. He's in Australia. And he thinks Galadriel was done well, uh, given that they don't know much about the second age. Yeah, she spends most of her time. Um, she doesn't, she's not, she is with Kelleborn. Sorry, Kelleborn, you are there actually. Uh, and she is involved in the Celebrimbor in one version of it. She is around, but she isn't notably out with her sword drawn. Um, so anyway, as Andrew says, it's plausible she could have been a fighter. Yeah. Okay. Right. We, we don't want to spend too long on doing this. So um, I will allow you both to pick one other character to talk about, and then we'll ask our our attendees to pick their faves. And we'll give them a shout out. So, Jacob, going to you. Um, if you pick one character that you thought, yay, that's that's a good character. Who did you like in terms of performance? Mean, now, performance. Yeah, already already mentioned Durin and Disa. So, I'll, yeah, so yeah. I, 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 I still hold uh, <laughs> aside aside from there. I think, and what what I think with uh, tying into the Galadriel uh, conversation here is that uh, Aaron Deer had you can tell he had this internal conflict right and i think that's what made him more compelling was this tension between kind of these two cultures right, and, and and competing responsibilities and so i think that allowed for his character to be more interesting um in, in a number of ways so uh, yeah, again with with the gladriel that, that kind of a one note it was just this drive revenge and that the, was that there wasn't I, I don't know what the inner tension necessarily was there. Um, so, I, so I liked I liked I liked Aaron Deer in terms of the elves. Probably the best elf character. Um, Stranger was really was really interesting uh, character. So that was one he 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 intrigued me as as an actor, right? So the, his range you you couldn't quite tell. You know, he, he was good. He got angry. And so just the, the, the range that he was able to portray there, the, the sweetness, the kindness, as well as the rage. And so I, I, I thought, I thought that was really interesting um, from an acting uh, perspective there. Okay. Paula, who's your pick? Your one, your desert Island pick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I just gave me a vision there. I was intrigued by the boy, the young man who played Elrond. I mean, he has a, he has big shoes to fill also. He has Hugo Weaving. He has to develop into Hugo Weaving. But I thought it was a very interesting start with him. One of the things I thought they could have talked a little more about was his brother, you know, the mm. twin who chose to be human and 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 how he how he reacted to that. I mean, his twin brother goes off and dies, and he's this immortal. And he's working for Gilgalad, who kind of confused me because there is no real high king over the elves. Each one has their own bailiwick. And suddenly Gilgalad is in charge of all of the elves and, you know, can exile people to Valinor. That was a little confusing. And Elrond buying into that initially was confusing. But his relationship with the dwarves, I thought that really set him apart that really set that actor his 
even just the time frame when he talks about, well, it's only been 20 years. Yeah. And that, that really the performance when he did that, it gave you the sense that the elves don't, you know, our lives are a blink in their, you know, in their eyes. And so just going to give a shout out to the actor. It's uh, his name is Robert Aramayo, who right. plays Elrond. Um, my shout out is actually um, a bit of an odd one. He's not he doesn't make the the headliners, um, though I did like Elendil, who's played by Lord Owen, Lloyd Owen. I actually really like the bad elf. The one who for a while you thought could have been Sauron. But actually, he reminded me, is he Aaron or something like that? If anyone picked up his name. Uh, Adar. Adar. Sorry. Adar, A-D-A-R. Adar, Adar, thank you. Um, but he, he doesn't appear on the, the head cast of IMDb. But what I really liked about him is he had, he had a motive and he had uh, seeing it from the bad guy's side. Because actually when you think about what happens to orcs, you could say, well, that's kind of genocide, you know, when you go around killing orcs. Um, and it reminded me of those books that you get, which are from the point of view of the orcs, you know, the, the alternative fantasy sins. So I actually thought that was a really interesting character, though he kind of, I hope he comes back. Um, I liked his perspective because it kind of humanized orcized the other side and he looked very he was the best of the male elves I thought oddly um because I think you know the lovely actors who played um Gil Gallard and Killer Brimble just a tad not a bit earthly and they're wonderful character actors <laughs> but they, I thought they just felt a bit uh, Anyway, um, please put in the Q and A who your who your fave character is, and if it's different from what we've said, we'll give a shout out to those. Right. So we're just going to quickly touch on world creation, that thing, and then we're going to give our verdict out of um, five, and we'll take we'll look at some of the comments in the chat. So I will be reading through and reading out some of your. Um, your wonderful observations but don't forget to put in who you thought was your favorite uh oh karen there she's there with or oh, you're just telling me what the name is and maria agrees with me about adar they are maria you and i hive mind there um okay so let's think about the sort of production side of it um i noticed already in the question and answers Andrew had said he enjoyed the, the film score which is obviously a big part of the creation of the world um Paula what did you think about you know where the money went into into the visuals and the sound it and the rest of it didn't go into the script writing but it did go in I thought the um the battle scenes were well done uh I thought the uh, volcano aspect and watching watching all of that was well done. Numenor looked almost like I thought it was going to look, um, but the Elven Kingdoms didn't. I think just, Numenor was quite a nice thing to see that they actually bothered to build something that could have been like ancient Rome. It felt as though it was big enough to be a city. Right. Um, 
The Elf yeah. Kingdom's just kind of, I, I felt they could have done more with it. If nothing else, as you said, populate them a little more, have some people walking around without little veils on. And, you know, they could have done a lot more with that. But I, you know, again, I think with the production values, this first season, I think is going to be um, their testing ground. They're going to see how the responses are and they're going to see what worked and what didn't is the way I, I, if I were producing this and I, I, I agree. I think the tapestry analogy was very good because they do need to tie those threads together. But their world building, it's, I mean, the ocean was nice. There was not much they could do. The ships were good. They they captured some of it. I think they could have captured more. Okay. So but Jacob, what they're spending. Jacob, what did you what do you want to pick out about that? Yeah, cost, costumes were insane. Uh well, sorry, I should yeah, we're 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 just unbelievable. Um in a good way or a bad way? In a good way, way. in a good way, in a good way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just just yeah, just the 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 care, the attention to detail on uh yeah on all the costuming was just yeah was was remarkable that so that that stood out to me yeah just the, the cinematography as well right some of the most gorgeous shots uh imaginable there um and the the soundtrack bear mccreary um has already been one of my favorite composers kind of contemporary uh composers and so i thought he did a really uh really good job so i've been enjoying listening to that in the background as i've been working on other things <laughs> for the past so, so, yes yeah, sorry i i i gave too much credit to howard shaw he just did the theme didn't he just the theme, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it was barry mccurry who did the 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 base everything else <laughs> Yeah. So in terms of like the like the non-script, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh the the all that, the 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 set design, the the right, the the production design, uh costumes, music, everything else, just absolutely top-notch for me. That was nothing nothing drew my attention away from there uh at all. It just, yeah, it, in some senses it heightened what was <laughs> what was there uh, on the page. I have some costume niggles. Can am I allowed a couple couple of costume Please niggles? Do. So um, I worried about Bronwyn with her bare shoulders. It looked pretty cold where she was. Everybody else was wrapped up, but she had this silhouette, which was all kind of exposed. And I thought, put a scarf on, love, is what I thought. And that got to me because she was set aside from the others. Um, And then I got a bit worried about the Harfords because I think they were trying to give them like a, trying to make them feel shorter but they all were wearing so much stuff like great big clumpy skirts and the hobbits in the shire have managed to understand that you know little three-quarter length trousers are the way to go so I found they just were really loaded down these are nomadic people but they they're carrying like loads of material and then they put all their grass and stuff on top of that so that really annoyed me I did like Muriel's armor I thought Arondir's armor was interesting with the green man look on it but it looked didn't look very elven it looked like it kind of been sawn by it looked a bit rough I don't know I I he could have done him a bit more polish a bit more polish um I suppose they were trying to differentiate him from the the kind of Galadriel elves, I suppose. Galadriel had a wonderful set of clothes. 
Though I did feel sorry for her having to spend the first couple of episodes wearing this semi-transparent shift thing. It's kind of... Yeah. Anyway, so I had I had a few quibbles with the costume department. But anyway, I don't know if anyone else on the um, chat wants to join with me in the in that. You all, if you all love it, I'll shut up. But um, just going back to the chat um, and to our earlier discussion about performances, I want to mention a new one that's been shouted out, which of Megan Richard uh, as Poppy Proud as Poppy Proudfellow, that's quite a tongue twister, uh, was admired. Um, and who else? And uh, Sadok uh, Burroughs. Well, somebody else, somebody mentioned there in the chat that did a, did a yes. great job. Uh, Lenny Henry, good. the leader of the Harfords. Oh, yes. Yeah, he was uh, Lenny good. Henry, who's a very well-known actor here uh, and comedian over here. So um, did you know him in America at all? Oh, okay. Well, you see, this is the odd thing. It's like um, seeing, uh, I'm trying to think who would be a really famous comedian for you. I mean, he's like super famous. Um, and seeing, so you had to really kind of divorce him from his his profile. He does all like the charity shows when they're doing public performances. And yeah. So I'm glad that you liked him. He's he's, he's one of our national treasures. <laughs> um, and yes, there's another shout out for cinematography, uh, Numenor, and so on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So Karen's saying that people on, on Amazon don't like criticism. Well, tough. We're criticizing you. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully they will listen to feedback and, and next season they will go for a better story. Um, yeah, Diana is saying, "What is that? We're putting stuff in the halfwits here. It was supposed to be disguise, wasn't it? A mixture of disguise and culture. Yeah, they were supposed to blend with the bushes and the grasses and everything as they were going along. Which I, I you kind of lost that along the way. Okay, so um, before we go over to everybody else, um, what is your grand verdict? And perhaps you could say. A little bit why you've given it that um that that mark what is it that is that made you decide on that rating out of five so everybody else listening we're gonna be looking at an out of five rating paula how about you 3.75 <laughs> and why what's what's lost the 1.25 scripting Okay. The scripts really, um, the one note Galadriel, the um, the lack of cohesion with the the different story arcs that were going along, um, the lack of female elves, and a lack of background characters as well. I mean, the thing about the thing that's always gotten to me about Lord of the Rings, about anything, is you always had these other people there. Whether it's Brie, whether it's whatever, you have interactions and then but you only have these little interactions these tiny little groups and they need to all you're you're fighting one great evil yeah it's you you need everyone together how about you jacob i had the same the exact same score as paula written down beforehand <laughs> 3.75 so think like uh 
Yeah, it's good. It wasn't, I, I wasn't entirely comfortable. If you were, if you were, so Julia, if you were going to force us into just like a whole star. Uh, no, no, no. 3.75 is fine. Okay. That's what I guess. I was, I was going to round up to four just because I'm generally a more generous critic of other people's art just because it was, it was a, it was a big swing oh, yeah. that they took. It was tremendous. Right. So it was, it could have gone much worse. Exactly. <laughs> could have. Yeah. Um, so I think, and I agree with, with, with pretty much everything that, that Paula said for the reasons about why I, I didn't, I couldn't comfortably give it like a four plus, uh, rating was just, I, if I, my investment, especially for the first half of the season was purely based on, I like Tolkien. I want, I'm desperate to see Tolkien's world more of it as much as possible. Right. So that's what really kept me going and then so I, I think the the character some of the characterization especially if you're if you're building this whole thing around Galadriel uh really I, I didn't find myself really compelled by her character and what she was was doing and so um yeah that's that, that's my reasoning so great so I thought I thought I did a great job almost four almost four um stars uh happy that the glad that they did it really grateful that they did it and all those people it takes so many people to put a production like that together so just in amazement and uh filled with gratitude for all the people that dedicated so much time and effort and energy into making uh a production like that uh is is is, is phenomenal so do start putting your scores in the uh, chat some um in the question and answers some of you already are um i'm a, i'm a bit meaner i think it's a 3 when i first started watching it I was more around a four and that was in recognition of the visual feast um I got to be about a three on it and I tell you why it's it's the story point but it was also I was so annoyed by some of the logical stupidities in it so things like Galadriel jumping out of the boat and swimming back just I was just saying where do you think you're going you know I just felt that was and and the other bit that really annoyed me is some of the um what I would call horse riding kind of overplay like they had long like I'm really enjoying horse riding I didn't kind of get those moments and then the other logical flaw which was Numenor sets off to save this place with three boats Okay, yeah, it's hardly like the most great flotilla um, armada coming. They get there and they manage to find their way directly to this obscure village. And then you see them charging on horses again, charging along with horses, and they arrive just at the right time. I didn't get the connection between that village, where they landed, and how they found each other, how they even knew anything was going on particularly because it turns out the guy who says my people in the South or sort of is, you know, playing with the other side uh, in the, in the, not, you know, in the sense of, yeah, he's, he turns out to be the bad guy. So I was actually um, shouting at the TV, not shouting, not quite that bad. I was telling my husband whilst we were watching it, that I thought some of those things were silly. And I also, my other logical hate point was um, Mithril. I know, why have this, we need Mithril in order to make us um, defend us against the light, the decline of the elves, 
as if they all need to be covered in mithril armor. The logic on that really worried me. And I, I'm glad they went for rings in the end because that's, you know, but that just, uh, so it went from a four to a three, but I enjoyed it because it's sometimes fun to watch something you don't agree with and tell your husband everything that's wrong with it. And that's he what said, I was doing quiet. with my I'm trying to watch it. <laughs> so, I've seen the same thing. I'm going to have a quick look at what you all think. So Karen, so Karen's given us a breakdown. Was it Tolkien? One. Um, story two, look of male elves, one. Locations four, fantasy shown is three. So she's somewhere, if I'm you're about a 2.5 or something, if my maths is right. Uh Joanna says to Val, who I hi Val, who I also know. Oh, Val is is a fan. I'm really pleased that you're a fan because this is not so we all agree. Val thought it was 4.5, little flat in parts. Zoom user, oh, not pleased. One to, one to two stars. Like me, he's wor- he or she is worrying about the no sense aspect. Yeah. And uh, AC, <laughs> yeah, she, the rhythm aspect of that is fun. So Arcana, um, cinematography, 5.5 out of 5, storyline, 2 out of 5, costumes, 4. People are, are separating this out, which I can understand. Um, yeah. Damnation, hopefully that's a, a username, uh, 2.5 out of 5. Yeah, you're sort of more in my area. Um, uh, Joanna agrees with me on the mithril. Oh, yeah, Joy's also worried about the, <laughs> the horses and the boats. Yeah, I, I was just really, I, I get kind of hooked on these things where I see something that doesn't follow logically and it just gets to me. Um, so 2.5, Elizabeth, five for the hype. <laughs> yes, their marketing department did really well. Very well. If you liked our discussion, thank you. Four for the art, four for the mystery. Oh, four for the acting. So she's generally a happy camper. So that's nice. Um, there is just before we um going to wrap up shortly, but there's an interesting question here, which is looking at what happens next. And that perhaps would be a nice place to wrap up. Um, Arcana is saying, given what we know about the direction of the story in the Silmarillion though we know they don't necessarily stick to that. With respect to our Farazon and Muriel, do you think they will stay true to that or go in a different direction? And her comment is, it's hard to tell right now. Um, for those of you who are not deep in Silmarillion lore, um, the little we know about our Farazon, who is the advisor with the, with the black and white beard, the badgery one, that guy, um, <laughs> And Muriel, in the book, Muriel is indeed supposed to be queen, but she's bumped, she's usurped by our Farazon, who marries her, force force marriages her. And the, the impression I always got was that she was a sort of a younger, more vulnerable um, character than the one that we've seen, the Muriel we've seen. Um Okay, so Jacob, what did you think? Did you notice the R Farazon, the Farazon character? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's, I, I have a hard time in just given 
contemporary discourses about consent and whatnot that like that they would that they would actually choose to follow a forced marriage right with the strength of the character that they already established uh muriel with you know her her independence i mean yeah so i i, I can see him perhaps uh you know somehow taking over ma making an argument for the people you know nobody kneels in numenor so it seems like they're kind of trying to establish a more kind of democratic society or something where people are are, are, are more equal than not except they still have a king except but not but an active king and so having him make a play for the leader of the people so i think so i see some kind of political uh kind of themes that are there going on in numenor that could play out um uh and that muriel could be and obviously right that we saw in the final episode that kind of injecting more the idea of the faithful to right the valar and uh iluvatar the, the, there's these people who are want want to be true to their heritage, a kind of spiritual uh, heritage versus uh, and, and connection with the elves versus those who are not. And so I think that's going to play that there's going to be more conflict between the two. So I have a hard time seeing Farazan forcefully marrying Muriel and continuing that line. I think there'll probably be a lot more tension uh, maybe um, between two kind of systems of governance uh, in Numenor is kind of what I would guess, but I don't have a palantir, so I can't say for sure. Yeah, that's the other, sorry, another <laughs> mic shouting at television. So Isildur's sister looks in the palantir and we never find out what happens. Sorry, <laughs> that was, sorry, I'm just having a little bit. Yeah, well, and, and where's his brother? therapy and, for me, because I need to shout at something. Uh, and Paula. where's his brother? Where's Isildur's yeah. brother? He's on the west. He's on the west. He's on the west, the west of Numenor where the faithful are. Apparently, so but I mean... Like more battling between those holdouts. It's yeah. I think the one thing that um, might play into the forced marriage is that in, if I recall historically, blind, disabled people could not hold the crown themselves. And that might be Farazan's um, method of either saying, you either marry me or I'm just usurping you. And so that might you, be the choice that she makes. Is that, um, I don't know that it's within Tolkien. You mean? No, but that is in Scandinavian. And that was in, in, in several of the, um, in several of his background mythology. Um, okay. Well, that would be really voices. disappointing. I mean, because wasn't it I mean, the, the wonderful blind doge of, um, of Venice who led the, one of the, uh, the big, uh, most successful raids of Venice in during the period of the Crusades, which I suppose is not a great moment to, yeah, it was. not good, but you know what I mean. Uh, it can be empowered figures in medieval times, so I would find that a bit, yeah. Okay. That is also part of, but also part of um, historically, um, even the ancient Picts in um, in Britain, uh, medieval history major, uh, even the ancient Picts. Could not have someone scarred or or um, maimed in any way hold the throne. I mean, they, it, it, you know, you have gods who've lost hands and stuff, and they lose their their main position. So there there's there is a mythological background to it that could justify Alfarazan's um, um, usurpation of the throne. I mean, it's an excuse. This is, I mean, she's perfectly capable, and it's an excuse, but. 
if you recall, in this, he's already talked to his son about, no, no, I want them to go. It's going to be a good thing. So he's already conniving. I'd prefer to see her as a actually a really good role model. If if Amazon, if you're listening, which they won't be, I'd like to see her as a good role model overcoming that and actually, you know, being a good leader rather than. Oh, yeah. And she's obviously got affection for Alendal, which could set up a nice, interesting fight between Alendal the Faithful and a usurper. I mean, that could be an interesting little fight until we figure out where Isolder is. His horse so, knows. So the, I think what, what we can say uh, to that question is it looks as though they are setting up the politics of a divided court in Numenor, how they handle um, Muriel's vulnerability, shall we say, at the moment of getting used to the fact that whether or not it's permanent or not, uh, temporary blindness or permanent, um, she obviously means she needs people around that she can trust. Um, and uh, we probably can tell that our Farazon is not trustworthy. So if he, if whereas Elendil is, so that might be the, you know, the, it means that she's she needs to work out who to trust, and maybe she trusts the wrong one. That would be Tolkien to not trust the right one, to trust our Farazon and yeah. Um, but we must wrap up because um, we've gone over our time. Thank you everybody for coming along and thank you for your lively um, contributions in the in the chat. And uh, I think it's fair to say that even if we gave it one star or if we gave it four point five. We probably all will be watching season two. Uh, most of us will be, I, I would say, just because it's so nice to to see a new interpretation of Tolkien uh, for our era. And to end on a positive note, I think it's really good to see diversity amongst elves and dwarves. So that was nice and well done. So well done them. Um, really fun to see that. and definitely the strongest part i think in terms of what they're leaving behind them is changing the way we visually see those yeah those those cultures so thank you so much everyone thank you paula thank you jacob and thank uh, you that's all for now bye thank you bye now bye there Thanks for listening to Mythmakers Podcast, brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. Find out about our online courses, in-person stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide. Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. 
you can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace, starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies, and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing.